This is Anthony de Blasi, director and filmmaker on Beyond the Void Horror Podcast. You're listening to the king of all podcasts, Alex King on Beyond the Void. As you walk through the valley of the shadow of hell, you will realize that there is something ahead. Something that lurks behind the dark veil. A veil that is beyond our own comprehension. Beyond the void. What's up, guys, and welcome back to Beyond the Void Horror Podcast. Woo! Brittany's back. She left us. She broke our hearts, people, but she's back to ruin some more. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So how are you doing, Brittany? I'm okay. What's going on with you? I'm better-ish. Okay. Yeah, I told him that you were sick. I didn't say what. Yeah, I'm still kind of sick and kind of like blah. So, but you're way better, right? I'll, well, yeah, it's like night and day difference okay. from like last <laughs> week to today, but it's still kind of shitty. But okay. she was she was lying to us, guys. She wasn't sick at all. We already just we closed just, the case. I just hate you. <laughs> <laughs> guys, today we're going to be doing something very special. Not only are we going to be reviewing the movies Dread and The Midnight Me Train, but we're also going to be doing an interview with the director of Dread the executive producer of The Midnight Me Train, and also the director of the movie Last Shift. So he was able to come on, Anthony DeBlasi, and uh, super fun interview that we had with him. So you guys want to stick around for that. And then after we do the interview, you're going to want to check out our reviews of the movie. So just giving you a heads up now, it's going to be a little bit of a longer episode than normal, but, uh, you know. Get over it. Yeah, just split it up over your week, you know. 20 minutes here, an hour there. <laughs> Stop yelling wake. at me. <laughs> but yeah, guys, you're definitely going to want to check it out. So I'm really excited about it. I had a really good time with Anthony. So I think you're going to really enjoy it. And we talk about some spooky shit. So, um, but yeah, so, but you're feeling better. Did you do anything cool on your, uh, your way time and like anything like on your personal time? Cause it's not like you had some time to yourself. I did. So no, not really. <laughs> Cause I felt like shit, but I started school this week. So that's cool. Oh yeah. Stressful as fuck. A lot of studying. A lot of. It's a lot, a lot. Um, originally I had four classes, but I dropped my math one so I could just focus on the other, the three. Cause me trying to take. Four classes is like more than full time, but it's a specialized school, so you don't have to take all the no, dumb dumb classes, this is regular right? College, really? Oh god! Yeah, so I have to take dumb classes, but backpacking one one. Like I literally spent on Tuesday five hours just for one class, <laughs> five. 
fucking hours on one <laughs> class and I'm like, holy shit. But my instructors are, I mean, I'm doing everything online, but my instructors are really nice and our teachers and shit. They're cool and I like it. I'm interested in my English class. I'm excited about because the shit we're going to have to write about is stuff that I, I'm interested in writing about. Right. So it's called like the course is like writing in our world is basically what it's about. So I'm interested in that because it's stuff I like to talk about. So. And I'm fucking good at writing. <laughs> so I'm kind of stoked to get back to English. My teacher already told me that I had the best introduction essay that he's read ever. <laughs> oh, damn. So I was like, that's fucking cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I was See, just I... telling him about myself, and it was just like how I uh, referred to death. I haven't done that shit in forever, dude. Well, it's been like eight years since I've done anything school related. So that's why I'm like, really, it's draining the shit I'm out of me. I'm not right going to live by their rules anymore. Yeah, like, it's just, <laughs> I'm, I'm like losing my mind. All those extra classes, it's like, ugh, I don't know. Hard. Well, I, I have to, bio, it makes sense. Like, that's when I have to do because. <laughs> That's science. So you know what's really funny is like when I was going to be a scientist. When I was in uh, <laughs> getting trying to get my associate's degree, uh, I had a backpacking class, and Are you uh, fucking kidding. During this time, uh, <laughs> I took a partook in some of the extracurricular activities. Weed. Uh, eat, mm, I, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's funny too because like we went on this back uh, backpacking trip. So it was either take PE or some other. Oh, I'd go backpacking. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> "Fuck this! I'm gonna do fucking backpacking. I want to fucking be a PE for fucking you know fucking associate's degree, fucking yeah, community college. Like what the fuck? Every day. Yeah, like fuck this. So I I did the backpacking and we all just ended up getting Stone. fucking high the whole time. It's perfect. <laughs> And then a teacher was so pissed, and he was like a hippie. So, like, you know, we thought it was cool. You know, we we were just stupid. You know, like, my friend's like, I brought this. And I was like, oh, shit. It's like your typical and he was like, like, college movie. We're going to go check out nature, guys. Let's go check out the butterflies. And we're like, nah, we're good. I'm going to sleep. <laughs> so, by the, by the end of the trip, he was like, uh, he was like, you know what? He was like, I was going to fail a lot of you guys, but I realized that you would just take the class again. <laughs> so I'm just going to fucking give you all A's. Please don't come back. <laughs> That's how I would teach a class. I was like, hey, you're harsh in my gig, bro. Like, I just want to smoke some more pot. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, anyway. Fucking, I love it. Anyway, guys, so <laughs> I think it might be that time. What time is it? Horseshots! So, guys, we watched two movies this week. As we've already mentioned, The Midnight Me Train and Dread. We decided to pick Dread since we had Anthony on, and that was his uh, first project. So, we decided to Is make that really a his shot. First project? Yeah, that's that, fucking dope. Well, it's one of his, his first feature film. Good for him. Yeah. In the movie, it's about this guy who's trying to do a study on dread, the actual term dread, and what it takes for people to essentially beat the beast. One of the lines he says in the movie is, you either chase the beast or you either go after the beast or the beast eventually comes to find you. So we decided to call this shot Chase the Beast. And what is in a Chase the Beast, you might ask? Well, a lot of stuff, actually. Uh <laughs> They were like, "Oh, what is it? Garbage." Uh, no, <laughs> so we're probably we're kind of taking like a a Jägermeister shot, kind of making our own spin on it. So what you do with this shot is you're going to basically take one half a shot of Jägermeister, then you're going to take one fourth of a shot of tomato juice. 
and then one fourth Bacardi 151. Now, what makes this one unique is after you shoot it, you're going to have a hot sauce backer. So you're going to basically like, you know, if you take a bottle of hot sauce and drop a drop or two in your mouth after you do the shot. And that's called chasing the beast. So chase the beast, bitches. But, <laughs> but yeah, would you do it? No. You, you don't I'm like hot sauce. I'm not going to chase what... the beast, but I'll do the shot. <laughs> it sounds yeah. like we're doing drugs when it you does. say it like that. Chase the well, beast, chase bro. Chase the beast, bro, but <laughs> not going to do the hush shot. Yeah, we, we don't mean to refer to any kind of hardcore drugs or anything, guys. Do the shot. Hi, I rhymed. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, if you want to find out how to make a Chase the Beast, all you have to do is go to our website at longlivethevoid.com and check out our hashtag horror shot section now. That's it for Horror Shots. Horror Shot! So we're not going to be doing the news now, guys. Uh, obviously, because we're going to be low on time this week, and we don't want to make it a five-hour episode or something. I mean, not that the news is that long, but... We could, but... I think it's time for us to jump into the interview with Anthony DeBlasi, and uh, I think you guys are going to really like this, so buckle the fuck up and get ready, and we'll do the interview right, right now. Alright guys, today we have director, writer, and producer of many horror films such as Dread, Last Shift, Most Likely to Die, and his upcoming film called Extremity, Anthony DeBlasi. Welcome to Beyond the Void Horror Podcast, Anthony. Thanks guys, happy to be here. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks for having me on. Nice man, well I think we're all pretty excited about your next entry into the genre with Extremity, but you know, before we jump right into that... I wanted to ask you some questions about some of your earlier work and your beginnings. Where are you yeah. originally from and how'd you get introduced to filmmaking and possibly the the genre of horror? I'm originally from Boston, born and raised up there. And then I went to Emerson College for film. And, you know, the whole reason I wanted to go to Emerson is because they had a uh, an L.A. program, which now is huge. Right. They have a, a, a much bigger building in, in Hollywood now. When I went, it was like a satellite office. So I came down. So it was great, great transition. Hey, I'm going to move to LA, finish my last semester in Emerson and just, you know, take the leap, which I did. And then when you're, you're out here, you're like interning. And I actually, the intern I got was with Marvel. Oh, wow. And yeah. It was like Kevin Feige and, and that team. And they had just finished the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man. It wasn't oh, wow. out like they were, t it was such a small office and it was like basically you know, making these packets of comic book stuff to send to potential investors and things like that. Cause they were more, they weren't Marvel yet. Right. They were still like a satellite company with different studios. And I, I think like with that Sam Raimi Spider-Man came out, that was the one that kind of cemented their path to a much greater success. Absolutely. For her superheroes in general, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a great experience to work with them and it was, but, but they weren't in production yet. and I actually had more time. So I, 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 you know, I loved horror and it was funny because that was right. I think it was right when it came out. It was like the original Nightmare on Elm Street box set came out and they had on that box set, they had this great, they had tons of special features on it. And, and I was watching that and Clive, Clive Barker was on that a lot. And, you know, I, I was a fan of Clive's work, but hearing him speak in, in those ways about horror from that disc, I was like, wow, I really like what he has to say. And at the time I just asked my advisor, 
I was like, hey, I'd love to get like another internship in horror because I have the time. It, you know, do you know any of these guys? And it was like, you know, the Wes Craven, John Carpenter, Clive and all that stuff who all had offices in California. And she put me in contact with Joe Daly, who was my producing partner for many years. And he was from Massachusetts. Oh, wow. So that was like our connection. I reached out to him, you know, pestered him long enough to set up an interview. And I went in and met those guys and met Clive. And that was that. I got an internship with them. And then very quickly, because they were just starting to ramp up productions, they did that sci-fi movie Saint Center years right. ago. That was right when I started. And Joe had, had to go to Canada. So I just kind of stepped into the L.A. office. And I was just thrown into the fire, which was amazing. That's you know, the perfect way to do it, right? That was the, yeah, it was the perfect way because they, you know, it wasn't like they didn't have some kind of harsh infrastructure in their office and they just needed the help. And Joe was really ramping up with development. I mean, the thing that's when you're in the studio world, and I was in that studio world for such a long time, the fans and, and fans of Clive, they don't know what's going on behind the scenes because we had we had Clive's projects in de- development literally like every studio in town. It was nonstop. And just to put it into perspective, like we like Damnation, that was a movie we had in development before I got hired right, and okay. all the way up until post dread book of blood midnight matron we're talking like 12 solid years of development and it was at warner brothers and and that that's several writers on it i eventually became a writer on it uh the same executives for the most part who was phoenix pictures at the time who eventually did shutter island and zodiac but we you know it's it's funny because it goes on for so long and it's same with midnight matron i mean we had developed that probably for about four five years of active wow. development at, at various places before we before kind of Lakeshore took it to where it needed to go. It's interesting because made. that was Ryuki Kitamura's first foray yeah. into the U.S. market, pretty much. Totally, yeah. He was awesome to work with. He did some great stuff on that film, which is, you know, such an action film, even more than a horror movie, really. It has some great action in it. And, uh, you know, that was a fun project. Well, I mean, it's this is obviously what cemented all this stuff with Clive Barker doing Dread and uh, obviously the Midnight Meat Train and everything. So is that have you been a fan of his before all that, too? Or Yeah, I mean, I, I was definitely like I was a fan of his films. I was never I, I hadn't read a single Clive Barker book before I got hired with him. Right. Okay. And I'd say growing up, I wasn't an avid reader. I read far more now than I did then, you know, because mm-hmm. I was like, I was more of a movie guy. I'm watching tons of movies. I, you know, I thought Candyman was brilliant. Still to this day, I think it's a, such a great elevated genre piece and, and Hellraiser and, and all his films. So, and it's funny because Clive is like a renaissance man, right? He dabbles in so many different areas, including being a, a painter and stuff. Right. Which, yeah. I've seen some of his work. Yeah. He's got it all over the place. Yeah, and and that was so much of what we were doing at the time at his company was not only kind of like doing the book tours with him, but Joe and I would set up some art shows too, and then it was film and television. And so it was a lot of different things. You get to learn so many different aspects of so many different businesses because I got pulled into the, you know, he was with HarperCollins Publishing at the time. You kind of get pulled into that world too. Um, but yeah, I was, I was a big fan of Clive's. And it's funny because when around that time when I got hired, is when he, I don't know, do you know his like children's book series, the Aberat series? I think so. I know I read The Thief of Always. Yeah, Thief of Always. You know, I mean, when I started working with Clive, I then, of course, read everything like a <laughs> hundred times, you know, you, and you have to over the course of developing stuff. But Thief of Always was 
probably my favorite in, in that area of, of his, his stuff that wasn't like hardcore horror. He had painted all these paintings for Aberat. And, you know, it had been a while. He had done Gods and Monsters. He was a producer and he developed that. You know, that was like a passion project for him. And, but it had been a while since he had done any horror films. His agency, he had this, he painted all these amazing oil paintings and they were huge. And we had a, a whole warehouse with hundreds of giant oil paintings. And you'd bring these, we brought like Disney went in there. They had like a show and tell with all the studios and saying, hey, we want to make this into a movie. And he's writing the book right now. And they had sold Aberat to Disney. And on that momentum, we ended up setting up a lot of his Books of Blood properties at various studios around town. But it was funny because they were like, yes, we want this. And then when you get into the development process, they'd be like, wait, this is dark. Like, <laughs> this is really dark. What did you think? <laughs> it, it, that's, it was so, it got to that, you know, it gets to that point because you're like, wait a second, did you ever even read that story when you like signed up to make it into a movie? And it, no, and I mean, and it kind of felt like that for a long time because it was like we took this momentum of we got like stuck in this quagmire of young adult with a, a couple properties and at the same time had a lot of hardcore horror stuff. And and it was hard to be like, yeah, OK, no, yeah, Midnight Meat Train is it's dark. And it's like, how do we make this? How do we kind of get away from that Aberrant stuff and finally make that? But that, that process, when I, I mean, when was when I meet Train was what, like 2008? And I think Aberrant, those, all those projects were probably set up around 2002. So it was yeah. like a, quite a few years to be like, okay, now we're finally in production and making one of these movies. So now did Dread become like one of those short stories that like kind of you really enjoyed or like sat with you? Dread was definitely, Dread and Pig Blood Blues were my two favorites from the Books of Blood. You know, when I was coming up in the ranks, those were the two I, I really gravitated towards. At, at the time, we had Dread was at Fox for a long time, and we had a, a writer team, which was Drew McQueen and Scott Swan. We had a few, and, and Garrosh was actually him and his wife uh, Jace became another writing team on Dread, and that's when they were trying to make Dread into a PG thirteen film. Oh. So we had a, a few sets of writers on Dread as it was in development for, for quite a few years at Fox. And then Scott Swan, who was Drew's writing partner, he is one of the co-writers on Extremity. Right. With he uh, has, James Bond. Or James Bond. Wow. James Bond. Yeah, that's what you want to say. <laughs> da David. Yeah. David, David Bond. Bond. Um, Scott is actually Rebecca Swan now. Over that process, he transitioned. Um, he In the credits and stuff, he's Rebecca Swan. And she'll be down here for the premiere and stuff when we do it in LA. But they were on that project, so that's actually it was great when I, we started. When they called me about Extremity, I was like, "Oh, I like I, I know Scott really well. Um, I hadn't seen him in, in a few years, but that was the connection back all the way to the Dread, wow, the Dread Camp." So eventually, when we got it back from Fox, when the option expired, you know, Clive was really like, "Let's bring this back to basics." When Dread came out, like I had reactions from people. They'd be like, I hate this movie so much because I have post-traumatic stress disorder and this movie triggered me. <laughs> and if I meet this writer, I'm going to spit on them. You know, like it was from that reaction to people who really loved it. Like it was a very, it split, it split audiences. It still does. It's not that, it's not like a feel good movie, right? <laughs> and, but either is the short story and the, and Clive was like, this needs to be rated R. We need to get this back to basic. Because when we were at Fox, nobody wanted to do the, the meat scene. And we we're like, but that's the sh that's the story. <laughs> right, exactly. That's the main main piece of the whole thing almost. I mean, yeah. 
And I think because most people were like, well, what's so scary about that? Like, and, and they couldn't visualize it on the screen. And they're like, so what? Somebody sits down and eats a well-cooked piece of meat? Like, who cares? But I think it was, well, if you do it, it it's meant to be psychological. And I think what the story was missing was a reason, and which in the movie we put in. Right. Which was all about Cheryl's past and why. It wasn't just like, hey, I'm a veg- hey, I'm a vegan you know, because I'm healthy or I don't want to hurt animals. And we connected it to to something more traumatic and something that kind of had to do with thematically, you know, dread. Yeah, it definitely felt darker, you know, like. Yeah. And and I think Quaid's character in particular was, uh, it gave so much more depth to him because you kind of know what kind of person he is through the eyes of Steven for the most part. But yeah. like, I feel like the movie really, he really shines. Plus the actor, obviously, Sean Evans. Sean Evans, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think Sean did a great job. And, you know, I mean, some some hardcore fans of the story. And, you you know, you got to know when you're making a movie that most people who watch these films have never read the short story. They don't mm. even know it's a short story. You know, so you're making a movie for the movie audience, you know, and obviously fans of the short story, some of them didn't like how we changed the ending. But to me, I think the movie became more Quaid's movie. It's more about Quaid than it is Steven. And I right. think the short story is much more about Steven and not, you know, and, and Quaid is someone, yeah, like you said, you see through Steven's eyes. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's definitely. And you also kind of split the character of Steven into two characters as well. So, yeah, with that Joshua character right. wanting to open it up and stuff. Which that scene with him and him screaming mommy. Oh, man, <laughs> that was pretty yeah. good. That's good. I'm glad. Yeah, no, I really, I was like, oh man, like that's so sad. <laughs> like, <laughs> we had a great, we shot that whole movie in London and we had just some great actors in there. I mean, Jackson flew up from the States, but you know, Sean Evans is, is from the UK and he's, he's been doing that Endeavor show for a long time. He plays like yeah. a young, what is it? Is it Sherlock Holmes? No, it's a, it's an English character that's like Sherlock Holmes. I can't remember the yeah, five. It's like was 24 episodes too, right? Yeah. It's, he's been doing that for a while. His show Endeavor is a spinoff of a very famous English detective show that Clive loved. And now I don't remember the name of it, but it was like, you know, it was like a short, mo- more of a modern day Sherlock Holmes. Gotcha. Okay. Detective Morris or something. Um, but yeah, we had a great cast in the UK. So how did uh, Clive, I mean, how did he, did he enjoy the outcome? Do you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, well, geez, I hope so. I don't, I mean, at the time he said he did, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, he he was in L.A. for most of it. He came down for a little bit and it, well, and visited family and stuff. And he was down there and came to set for I think he was there for about a week of the production. Um, but, yeah, he was he was really happy with it. I mean, uh, I feel like that meat scene, the, the important one we were talking about was Cheryl eating the meat. I mean, I think that was like a real it was like you kind of gave it a little bit of both, like both the story because it was very similar in how Quaid was explaining it. And he's like, see here how she's like doing this. And like, it yeah. was very, so it was like you were honoring it. And then on, on the same end, you kind of added to it a little bit because she eats the steak. And when she finishes it to the bone, was that, what was that by the way? It was a steak that was made of glycerin. Okay. And it was, it's, <laughs> it's a funny story because I went and literally picked out this huge porterhouse steak from a butcher. And they had these great, like, you know, these kind of these old school butchers down there. We went to this butcher shop. I literally picked out the piece of meat. The effects team bought it, brought it back to their offices. You know, they bought like several cuts of that same piece of beef. They laid them out and let them rot at various stages. So every time, 
like they took a fresh mold, they took a mold of the fresh steak, then they took a mold of like a day old steak, and then like a two day, and then a four day, and a five day. They, you know, and they let that piece of meat rot, which and, and it grew its own maggots. It got maggots, and they oh. they took casts along the way. So in that progress, we had these glycerin steaks with real maggots, <laughs> and we wow. actually had the steak on set, the rotted steak that they had kept all that time. I opened it for the actress so she could smell it before she ate the steak and and so she she so i tear tear off the lid she takes like a big whiff of this rotted steak with all these maggots on it close it and then call action and she bites into this oh man and i when it was done i like i ate it and i gotta tell you the set it's funny because when they were making this glycerin steak they asked me do you want it flavored like do you want it like lemon or like something i'm like i don't know i mean no, it's fine. I think I asked her and she was like, no, it can just be plain. Okay, that thing, when I bit into it, I literally almost puked all over that room. Like that was, <laughs> That's how disgusting that glycerin steak was. And I don't know how she sat there and ate it like that because she couldn't swallow it, which is funny because it was like the steak needs to be edible. And when, you know, I think the, the day we were shooting or the couple days before, I, w- I said I-, I said the word swallow, and they were like, well, she can't swallow it. I'm like, what? <laughs> I thought it was edible. I'm like, well, she can chew it. She can't digest it. I'm like, okay, well, then Oof. we'll just, you know, cut around it. So every time she'd chew, 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 and then she'd spit it out. Oh, wow. Is she a real vegetarian? She was a real vegetarian, yeah. Wow. That actress was. But, I mean, it wasn't, you know, it was fake. It was made out of, essentially made out of soap. I don't know. Like, glycerin <laughs> is, like, I'm going to soapy. I took, like, three bites. I was like, all right, that's all. That's, that's it. Yeah, I can't even imagine. <laughs> she was a champ. Yeah, because she really did. I mean, she bit it all the way down to that bone, essentially. She she tore off, you know, all the meat with her mouth and chewed every piece of it. That's crazy. Yeah, you added a couple, another extra character in the story, too, with uh, Abby, the girl with the birthmark. Yeah, Abby is probably one of the characters I'm most proud of in that film, because, you know, at the time when I was writing the script, I really wanted a character that was the physical embodiment of what Dread was. And in the book and in real life, you know, people often interchange fear and dread for the same thing. But, you know, dread is the anticipation of something right you know fear is being fearful of something and so with the meat and that's why the meat i'm like that's the crux of the whole story and that's what it comes down to in that it was such a poetic statement in that story it's a well-cooked piece of beef you know sure you're a vegetarian whatever you're a vegan you don't want to eat it this is a test of wills the longer you wait i'm not gonna let you out but the longer you wait hence to face your fear the worse this is gonna get And it did, right? So the longer she waits, that meat starts to rot. And I'm like, that is the definition of that short story, dread. Mm. So with Abby, it was that embodiment. If this girl, you know, these people with port wine birthmarks that cover like half their bodies. And my, the artist on that film, who I've worked with a lot, uh, Nicole Belzerini at the time, or Nicole Wilson now, she had a port wine birthmark going all the way down her leg. Oh, Uh, wow. And that's kind of what inspired it. It looks so real. Like me and my girlfriend were watching and we were like, wow, that they did a really good job on that. Cool. Thanks. I, I like the art team. I think they did. They did that with all, all like transfers. They built transfers. And that was like early on in the people weren't really doing transfers yet in uh, special effects, which is much more common now. 
So they create all these transfers and she would have to go into the makeup chair every day and she'd get it, you know, and those, some of those full body scenes, it was quite a extensive thing. But those, you know, when, if you look up people with port wine birthmarks, some of them do, like they get so dark and so they can be very debilitating. But for that character, it's like, right, you're constantly, you got this, you know, thing on your face that you're constantly worried about. I got to go outside. I got to go to the supermarket. I got to meet new people. Everything is like, oh, they're staring at me, right? They're looking at my face. They're wondering what this is. I Do I have to explain myself? So that's, to me, what that character was about. Right, yeah. that's. A, I thought it was a good addition. I, and that whole bleach scene, oh. Brutal. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like you kind of have this really close bond with uh, fear, dread, and all that anyway. So, I mean... It seems to be a kind of a running thread through many of your films and, and how you don't necessarily go for the cheap, you know, jump scares or anything like that. I feel like you might be the type of person that might be similar to Quaid, not as crazy, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, listen, when I was making that movie, I think a lot of the crew was like, I think and, and you know, his Machiavellian, Machiavellian tendencies, I think I definitely related to a lot of that in some ways when I was when we were you know developing that character more for the screen and i think some of the crew was like i think this quaid character is kind of like you (laughs) (laughs) you know you get you're either that person that enjoys scaring people and and i think the more complex of a way like i'm definitely that guy that would hide in a closet for like two hours just to scare someone (laughs) in the right way (laughs) sounds Um, like me i do that to my girlfriend yeah right it's like that's the long game Um, (laughs) but i think that theme and definitely an extremity. Like when I signed on to extremity, I felt like it's a good bookend to dread because it deals with a lot of the same themes, but from a different point of view. Right. Yeah. That's what I was thinking when I read this story about it. Actually, why don't you tell them about it, what it is? Well, extremity is essentially in the crudest of terms, it's about extreme haunts, right? And, and that, and, and that kind of subsect of haunted houses that we all enjoy in, in Halloween. I think in our world, meaning you and me, we live in a world when someone says extreme haunts, I think you and I, you know, you're like, okay, I know what that is. I know because we, you know, things like blackout and, you know, what Darren just did the tension experiment and and the lust experiment and um, McKamey Manor, which was a huge inspiration for extremity. I was going to ask that because I just watched some documentaries on that and how intense that is and all the legal stuff that they dealt with. Yeah. What did you watch? The Haunters one? Yes. I watched that and there was something else I saw, like maybe a TV show that was like an episode where they had him as well. Yeah, he's I mean, he's fascinating. McKamey and and his story has progressed in the last few years. And it's, you know, it's been hard for him to do this now because people he's, I think, got enough attention where people are like, maybe you shouldn't do this. And so, you know, his his business is kind of being, well, he doesn't charge for it, you know, in the same sense that other people do. But his business is being threatened or his joy of it is being threatened. But that's definitely what Extremity explores is these extreme haunts, which and we also went through. We want to make sure the trailer and the movie is kind of an education process as well of saying like, Hey, you enjoy going to universal studios at Halloween or Disney or whatever, or that haunted house down the street. But there's this, this other culture who really wants to push their limits. Right. They want real dread, real fear. Real, Yeah. Real fear. And, and they want to be whisked away into this, this kind of immersive world that the risk may, may not be real, but it, it feels real. And, you know, McKamey, is so kind of beyond that line. You know, the original script was very, like, all McKamey Manor 
in, in terms of kind of the lead villain and, and things like that. And I wanted to bring in, again, more of the dread element, which I feel like Blackout concentrates on more. Okay. And, and probably like Darren's tension experiment, it's more of a psychological experience. And I, did you did you see the documentary, The Blackout? Yes. Blackout? <laughs> like, right. Yeah. So that that gets into more of this kind of, hey, let's get in your head. And there's also a lot of psychosexual elements to Blackout where McCamey really stays away from the sexual stuff. And, you know, you can see why, because it's it's very hands on. Right. Yeah. McCamey. But they're kind of on these opposite sides, the same spectrum of pushing people's limits and the blackout, you know, and theirs, I love that element. They dealt with more of who are the people that go to these things. And with blackout, it's like some people can go and be like, oh, that was cool. But some people go and it becomes a religion to them. And I thought that was a fascinating part of it. And that's definitely something we deal with. It's almost the extremity is almost a cautionary tale for the extreme haunts not for people going to them because hmm. okay. it's, you know, it's kind of like do you really know who you, who you're bringing into this world you know do you do you really understand i think that's a theme i gravitate towards in a lot of my work with missionary dread is like that person who's asking you to bum a cigarette in the alley which is how dread starts right yeah something is simple and mundane uh, and, and benign Right. And that's, isn't that how almost every tragedy starts in, in a very often in a very mundane way? And I think that's fascinating. It's like these people we invite into our lives very easily and sometimes very inconsequentially can have very dire effects just a little ways down the road. Cause you know, you don't know, you don't know what goes on in someone's head. That's why it's always like someone commits a mass murder. They're like, I don't know. He was such a nice person. Yeah, <laughs> right? See, and that's the fascinating thing of it is, he probably was, or he probably still is such a nice person. Right. He just has the capacity to commit atrocious acts. Yeah, that is kind of scary. I mean, so 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 what you're telling me is that Dredd is telling you not to smoke. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that, exactly. You got to take all my movies can be whittled down to one simple thing. Stop smoking. Don't, stop smoking. And, you know, in Missionary, it's like, don't talk to Mormons. I don't know. Like, every movie needs a theme. I saw in an interview with you, you had mentioned that that and it was very brief. You said uh, that the only thing that really scares you is the paranormal ghosts and such. Have you ever had any personal experiences and are you a believer? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Movies about the paranormal freak me out. But they're the movies I like love. And and that's like Last Shift. Right. A lot of ways I say like Last Shift was my first kind of real horror movie. Because it was a movie designed around, hey, I want to scare people. With movies like Dread and Missionary and Extremity, they're not really movies designed to scare you emotionally. uh, Or let's say, I don't know. I don't know what the word is, but physically to scare you. I guess it is movies like Dread and Missionary and and Extremity is more of a, you know, it's a psychological thing. It's meant to make you feel disturbed or think but with Last Shift, I wanted to make a movie that was like, well, this is the kind of movie that would probably scare me. And like movies like The Shining, growing up as a ch- seeing that as a child. Sure. Which, you know, that shit scares me. And <laughs> it still scares me, you know, probably less so than it did back then. But I definitely feel like I see spirits a lot. Okay. And, yeah, and, this is know, what I'm curious about because I've had my own personal experiences. So you can rest easy. Yeah, I mean, I, it's definitely I, like I, my mom who's passed away now she was always very psychic 
like okay. in terms of how she presented the world and how she talked about things and like, oh, you're very gonna meet empathic. this person. Yeah, very empathic and could pick up on that stuff. And but my mom was also like, if you can see it in real life, it's not a spirit, it's a demon. <laughs> she was very on that side of things when it came to religion, meaning anything that manifests itself in this world. Like you may think it's a ghost, but it's not. It's a demon. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah. okay, that's a, that's an approach. But and, and maybe a completely valid one, you know, in terms of of that, if people believe in it. But like, I definitely, you know, I get into the, you know, early morning hours sometimes, and it's always location based. So it's like if I'm staying somewhere, I was in, um, where is I would, I always never forget the name. Of it. It's the oldest town in Florida because well, we shot last shift in Florida. It's like Saint Saint, Saint Peter. Oh, is it Saint? I don't know. It's a Spanish settled town in in Florida. It's an it's an awesome town. It's it's the first settled place in America. But I had stayed there at this old hotel. And I woke up in the early morning. And oh no, I, I was in a dream. It was the weirdest experience. And I have experiences like this all the time. And who knows? Maybe it's bullshit, but maybe not. I was in a dream. And in the dream, I was driving down the road. And I was in the backseat. I was literally having some conversation with like the person on the front seat. And suddenly in the middle of in the dream, in the middle of the two car seats, a face appeared which was a man dressed in like a military uniform. He had a noose around his neck and he reached out to me. And I'm not, it was the weirdest experience. Cause it was like, he, it was like this thing pulled me out of the dream, reached out to me. And suddenly I'm awake. Suddenly my eyes are open. I'm back in the hotel room, but this character, this figure is still there with me and Oof. it's floating away from me, me now. And it has this noose around its neck and it goes up to the ceiling and it's just dangling there. Ugh. And, and, literally the next day because you know there's a lot of hotels that are based on like oh come here we're haunted and i talked to the the woman who owned it i was like do people have experiences up in those upper rooms and she's like she's like yes there's a military soldier that committed suicide by hanging (laughs) in that when the room and it wasn't my room it was the room next to mine and i was like well okay there you go right how can that there's no way that you could have figured that out yeah no yeah and it was funny because after this isn't funny. I don't know why I said it's funny, but <laughs> <laughs> after my mom had passed away, I never had any like, oh, hey, there's my mom. But it, it, until it was, I was, I was dating this girl, and I had gotten out of a long relationship, and I was in that relationship when my mother passed away. Literally, okay. same thing. Woke up early morning, and my mom was floating above me on the bed, but like high up towards the ceiling. And she was looking down at me and she was really like pissed. Like, like, who's this chick you're in bed with? Right? <laughs> no, sh- I'm not sure. The next morning, this girl's shoes were, you know how when you might go to sleep, right? Or whatever, you take your shoes off, you put them next to each other. Sure. This shirt, girl's shoes were next to, like, you know, as this pair of shoes would look, except they were turned upside down. Ooh. Completely, completely next to each other. The same exact way, but they were upside down, soles up. And I was like, if that's not a message, I don't know what else is, you know? <laughs> so you guys never, you, did you continue to be together or did no, that? No. Okay. Well, so, yeah. I took, listen, I took the advice of my dead mother. <laughs> that's a good sign, I would say. Yeah. You don't just, get any, any better than that, I don't think. <laughs> but I guess if you believe what my mother believed, then that wasn't my mother, it was a demon. So, oh yeah, huh? That's true, oh, yeah. huh? It's true. Maybe she just wanted to scare you into thinking it was, so you would stop. Yeah, 
Either know, way, it was good advice. You know, just I, I won't go into detail about mine, but I've had you mentioned the dreaming and then waking up to something. That is exactly what happened to me. I woke up from a dream about demons that scared me. Yeah. I woke up panicking and something was slapping the foot of my bed for at least a minute. Yeah. And I woke yeah. my girlfriend up. And as soon as I did, it went away. It started to fade out and I had to shine a light at the end of the bed. Nothing there. Well, I, and that, see, that's the key, I think, is like, because it's easy to explain away when you're in a dream state, because I often have a lot of waking dreams, too, especially sure. like when I'm stressed out or something. It's easy to explain away if you're in a dream state because you're waking up from a dream. But my test is always time, right? Like if I wake up and see something, like I had woken up and saw something sitting in my chair across the room. And I was like, there's someone sitting in the chair, some lady sitting in my chair. All right. So, you know, you're, I'm awake now and I'm still looking at it. I'm like, okay, it's still there. Completely lucid. And then I'm like, well, let me close my eyes. I'll close my eyes, reopen that. If it's still there, if you do that like three or four times and you're still seeing it, then, you know, I'm like, okay, I don't think I'm dreaming anymore because right. I'm consciously telling myself, let me test this out. Hey, let me close my eyes. Let me test it again and again and again. And then, like you said, the same experience, it kind of like fades off. Right. Um, it's not as sudden. It's not as sudden. Yeah. It's like, yeah. A, it's like a fade. That's interesting. And, you know, and part of the reason I wanted to ask you about that is not just because I heard you say that, but your movie Last Shift, holy crap, that scene with the flashlight and the cell reminded me of my experience and oh, how that- <laughs> terrified I was because of it. And that. I just was curious about because God, that that movie spooked the crap out of me. That's awesome. I, I, I you know, when I when Scott, who's the co-writer and producer on that, I had gone to him. And I was like, listen, I have like a kind of an idea for a movie. I wanted to do something really contained and have a major part of it be the sound design because we had a really good relationship with our sound team. We had already worked with them a couple of times. And I said, let's get in on this with the sound team right from the get go. And let's design these scenes in the writing process. So literally before production, I went in there with the sound team into our location that we were shooting the movie. And we had a whole day of sound sessions where we recorded actors doing tons of sound design for the movie that I could use during the edit and during the sound design process. So we were hand in hand. We designed all these sound elements ahead of time. That's awesome. And that, yeah, and that scene, I was like, I want a scene that's literally just sound and that it like goes to black and it stays like that for a pretty long time. Yeah. And, you know, obviously. Seems like watching, forever when you're watching. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's a long time. And it's like, listen, if you're watching the movie on your phone, you're not going to get, you're not going to get the experience. But if you're watching that movie in a theater or on a good sound system or on a, a pair of headphones, then you're going to have a really visceral experience because it's all directional too it's like you know you're hearing her search around in the dark for a flashlight she knocks it across the room and somebody picks it up and and we recorded those actual sounds in that cell and and played it out that's played awesome that, all those sounds out yeah that genuinely struck a nerve with me i i was first of all i was so engrossed in the movie as from start to finish at first i wasn't sure because i was like i didn't know who this person was i didn't know how it was going to go but now it's become kind of one of the movies that i always tell people about uh if they want a spooky film like you got to watch this like check it out awesome thanks man 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's good to you know, having been out a couple of years now, it's cool to still see people watch, you know, kind of discovering it for the first time, right? They're like, oh, I saw this movie on Netflix, and it was like. I'm glad that people are still discovering. Do you think that maybe some of the experiences you've had have kind of helped play into like this, the scares in that movie? Because it, it's pretty psychological. It's very subtle reveals. Or it's not like you're just, you know, although there's that one girl who smashes her head on the table, which was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, you know, I think that it must, right? That kind of that design element that helps you kind of plot out a scare which is similar to plotting out a magic trick or something right you're right like how do you how do you draw someone's attention how do you misdirect how do you you know comedy and horror right they're like on two sides of the spectrum in terms of like trying to make someone laugh comedy you know comedies are are hard to do it's like how do you because also comedy can be very specific the same with horror one person can be scared of, of the strangest thing and one person may not be so it's it's can be very subjective like for you that scene really affected you or someone else may be like well so. i definitely my relation to that experience of slowly shining the light over to the end of the bed knowing that something was there well, yeah no, see that would have been great if you <laughs> if there was something there that and then you're like oh i'm living in it i'm in it now yeah <laughs> Which one do you think you're you're most proud of out of all the horror movies that you've done or out of the movies in general? Yeah, it's, it's tough. I think, like, I can easily tell you the movies I'm most proud of, and mm-hmm. that's, you know, Dread, Missionary, Last Shift, and probably Extremity. Right. You know, they're all different experiences. When I made Dread, it was a 32-day shoot or something. It was a pretty big production. I had a lot of prep time on it much different experience to last shift, which I said to we, Scott and I had just come off missionary and I was like, why don't we just make a movie for fun? Like to scare people. We shot last shift in 10 days. Wow. Really? Yeah. That whole movie was 10 days. That's great. All night, all night shoots. And it was fun and intense. And like, you know, you kind of, and, and Juliana, you know, who's on arrow now, she was you know so strong. She literally, in, in, with that schedule, had no downtime. And there are like basically, there's she's in every scene. Yeah, that's true. So it's yeah. a constant. It is a constant, you know, um, kind of emotional roller coaster for her. And that's like boot camp for probably for, seeped for into the film too. Yeah. Oh, it does. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So yeah, they're all different. They're all different. Back on Extremity, I mean, you got this new movie coming out this October. And I forgot to ask you this because because of the Extreme Hots, would you ever hand in a few bags of dog food to try the McCamey Manor yourself? Would you ever attempt no, that? No, 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 I would never go to McCamey Manor. And and, and it's I, I just don't like and I I wanted to do Blackout because Blackout to me seems kind of fun. McCamey is now like a cup of tea. To me, that's like boot camp. Like yeah. that's like. You know, I think a lot of people who go right into McCamey, they're looking to overcome something within themselves. And they're also wanting to be that person because he really does what well, right? he makes these little movies and he does well. Branding himself is like, you don't want to come here. You're never going to get through this. And he's right. There's a show on Netflix right now called, oh man, I don't know. It, it's like about dark traveling. Oh, yes. That's the where I saw it. on. Oh, what you said? Yeah, one. he was on that, too. He went yeah. to McCamey. And that was like, right? He was in there for like, what, 30 seconds? <laughs> He's like, I'm, I'm out. I mean, even the guy who wanted to do it came out immediately after. He was only in there for what, like three minutes? Yeah. You know, they because both wanted I think, to do it together, too, which was surprising. And then they, they were like, nope, I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. 
Because I think McCamey, he has a formula that works extremely well. It's like if you slap someone in the face and you pull their hair, or if you if you do these jarring things to them, it, it was great about that show on Netflix. That was the first time I had heard how long the contract signing phase was. Because in all the other documentaries, they never talk about how long he sat on that bench, bench going over the contract. Do you remember? Right. It was it was like five hours. It had to have been because I know that was the night it started to become night pretty yeah. quick. He was so emotionally exhausted by the end of that process and that it's like well because mckamey has a military background right Right. these are like cia like and 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 in extremity we kind of touch on that stuff too like you know and some cartels do that as the cia did it you know you i don't know if you ever heard the story and i don't i can't don't quote me on this you can quote me but there was a story that skinny puppy sued the cia Right, because they were using their. Did you hear that? Like, they yes, were using I, well, I belong to so sort of the scene in a way. Uh, yeah, because so, is that. that true? Like, is that true that I they were using so. their I'm music sure. as psychological warfare? Right. Yeah. Which they did in Vietnam too. They and were I, using their music. If you guys are not sure, they were using Skinny Puppy's music to get into the heads of other people by playing it extremely loud. Yeah, and you put them like in a little. Got to watch like an episode of Dateline, and this guy got kidnapped in Mexico cartel did the same thing to him because they were trying to get uh, ransom they locked him in a tiny little box between walls and they just pumped death metal into the or in like industrial metal into the for non-stop and we we have we touch on that and we do things like that in extremity as well these certain things work really well and with mckamey if you pull someone's hair like you when there's a process at the beginning where he's like slapping them in the face and pulling their hair you get their their fight or flight mechanism going, you get their adrenaline pumping. And then suddenly everything becomes, you're like on the verge of a panic attack or you're having a panic attack. Like what's his, like the guy from that Netflix show that you know, the host, he was like, remember he started crying right after he got out and he was like, I'm getting emotional. I don't understand why it's, it, it's just biology. You know, it's not like the guy's some coward. It's just biology. Reminds me a little bit of how people that do suspension from hooks, and yeah. how they deal with it's like the pain is a release to them and a, a religious experience most times to those people uh, yeah. just like this would be so that's interesting you kind of said that it's it's more about the people who are running the business more than it is the people now is there a, a supernatural element to this or is it just going to be humanity and it's horror yeah no it's 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 very much like dread in the sense that it's it's psychological. There's nothing supernatural in it. Okay. Um, now you may see imagery in the trailer that says, "Oh, that looks supernatural," but it's not. You know, it's not. There's c- kind of like in dread. I made the presence of someone's psychology a character. You know, Quaid had the axe man, and something similar I did in Extremity, where Alice, you know, kind of stopped halfway in, in terms of what the movie's about. But Extreme Haunts is like the over overall this is what we're exploring but the character her name's allison and she which i find a lot of these people who go to these extreme haunts looking for this extreme experience she's looking to overcome these demons she has in her life she's looking to overcome a past trauma and she thinks you know she's thinking like this experience is going to help me on the other side i feel like this is something i need to do and that's where the cautionary tale lies because i mean with these extreme haunts I feel like eventually something is going to go wrong. Yeah. Something horrible is going to happen. It's on the cusp right there. It's on the cusp. But the question is, which side is it going to happen to? 
That's a, <laughs> that's a really uh, interesting idea there. And you have such a great cast, too. I mean, I, I was looking it through some of just just a few off the top. Michael St. Michaels of The Greasy Strangler. You got Horror Queen, Felissa Rose, Tiffany Shepis. There's just a lot of a lot of stars in this. And do you have a hand in picking them? Well, so what we did and we shot this movie, the bulk of this movie was shot in Canada and we had a couple days planned in Los Angeles. So, you know, because a lot of us live in L.A., well, the stuff we shot in L.A., it's a lot of cameo work. So a lot of the names who are kind of these horror icons and whatnot and, and you know, Michael from the Greasy Strangler and stuff, they came out and did these cameos, which is essentially a lot of my teaching process to the audience of like, hey, if you don't know what an extreme haunt is, this is what it is. And I okay. go through these things that are like Blackout and McCamey Manor. And so we had, you know, Ricky Dean Logan and, and Tiffany Shepis and Felissa Rose and and Michael and, and a handful of other actors come down and they did Jeffrey Reddick, who has, there's also a movie within a movie in Extremity, which is fun. That sounds good. Yeah. And, and Jeffrey Reddick's in the movie within a movie who, you know, he, he did Final Destination and stuff, uh, but he's a, a good friend of mine. And so a lot of the, you know, when you look at IMDb, a lot of these names who are these iconic names, it's more of cameo work and it's stuff that we shot in L.A. That's interesting, though. I like that add, added to it. So it's almost kind of sounding like uh, a documentary or almost, but like. Yeah, some- we, well, it's like all of these actors. I was kind of like, here, you know, this, this thing, McCamey Manor or this the blackout thing. He's like, I'm like, we're just going to do that. You know, we're just going to do that here to you guys. And, you know, let's just see what happens. <laughs> you know, so it's like for audiences watching it, I wanted that, you know, when I was talking to the gang and David and Corinne is the other producer on it. We're like, it'd be fun to get these these char- these recognizable actors to do these these parts. Yeah. And, the roles, and, the characters or whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah. to get these parts and, and also become the, the people going through these extreme haunts as well, putting them through the torture process. You know, Dana, who is the lead in the movie. She, again, like she was like kind of a find in Canada, but she's awesome. Okay. I I mean, we put her, she'd be fun to talk to because she is just a great spirit. And she's, she has a lot of stories because we, I literally like, I didn't, I was like, when I hired her, I was like, listen, I'm not going to fake anything. Like I'm, I'm going to do, cause I'm like, if these people are going to, if these people in real life, go through these things and do these things, then we're going to do it too. You know, it's not going to, you know, it's not going to kill you. Right. As long as we do it safe. But, you know, like we, because there, there's a whole waterboarding sequence in the movie and we, we waterboarded her for quite a long time, you know? Holy and, crap. And, and I you did didn't it. prep her with the McKinney Manor ones, did you? You were like, hey, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she had, I was like, I wanted her to know what she was getting into. And, and, you know, and she, it's, it's a, a grueling, you know, she came out with a lot of kind of superficial injuries and stuff, but she was constantly getting beat up and, and her, you know, the waterboarding I did first, I was like, watch me do it. And I hadn't done it ever before. Oh, Have you wow. ever been waterboarded? Oh, never. No. You know, it, it's funny because, you know, it's not, it, it is such a psychological thing. The guys who are like in the FBI and stuff, they kind of laugh about out, like waterboarding because it's like, that's not really torture yeah, it's because it's a- like, it's psychological. It's like, but it does, it, it, you, uh, when you put that towel over your face and you start to get water, water poured on you, something clicks in your head. Like it's like, it, it is this panic of drowning. 
that sensation. Oh man. It, it, it's so weird. It's a weird experience. Suffocation. It's a suffocation and yeah. it happens instantly. It's not like, hey, let me hold my breath and I'll be fine. It's a weird thing because you can feel the water like going into your nose and it's like, and she did it. And I was, cause I was like, hold on, you know, just come out of it or grab the person's leg when you need to stop, but do it as long as you can. And then, you know, there were some takes where she, she'd do it for quite a long time. I mean, oh, like man. 30 you know, 30 seconds. She's hungry. Of- she wants to do some good stuff, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so we did all this stuff in the movie. So I'm sure she's got a lot of stories. Yeah. That'd be great to have her on. Ask her about that stuff. <laughs> be like, yeah, they waterboarded me. So yeah. we check this out. <laughs> check this out. <laughs> uh, good times. <laughs> What's the date exactly that it's coming out? And is it coming out on VOD? October 2nd, it's being released. Um, Blu-ray, video on demand, you know, all the streaming platforms. Um, and then we're doing a limited theatrical run the week before that. So it's all they haven't finished booking the cities. We're having a Los Angeles premiere September uh, 17th, which will also be open to the public. Oh, nice. Uh, so anyone in in the Hollywood area can come out and check that out. It's actually playing Arizona as well. Really? Week. Yeah, I think it's in Phoenix. Will you be out here for that one? I don't think so. I okay. might. I might. If you do, you should let me know. Yeah. I'll definitely go either way, but I'm just saying. <laughs> go down, pack the house. Yes, there you go. Seems like you kind of like a lot of different genres. Um, is there any one genre you'd like to tackle next? I'm writing some sci-fi stuff right now. That's what uh, I was going to ask. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm, I'm focusing on a lot of sci-fi right now. And when I write, definitely sci-fi is a genre I'm up to dabble in. Interesting. Okay. So is it going to be like a combo of like two different genres or do you think? Yeah, I think they're, one of them is actually more dramatic and one of them is more kind of big, straight up like sci-fi. Something that, something that I probably won't direct. I think we're going to go out with it as a spec and, you know, hopefully landed at a you know, bigger studio or something because you know if you want to do those movies right you got to do them for like a right, hundred million dollars <laughs> yeah right yeah. sci-fi is not an easy one to tackle it, no it's not it's not easy to do on a, an indie budget <laughs> unless you got it like a like a well i don't know how much cube was but you know that's a independent film that for sure did it really well yeah and it's because he contained it right so right yeah, exactly concept. yeah the high concept stuff like cube and moon and and um what was that one prime primer Primer, Primer, yes. Primer, yeah, that's also really good. One of the most complex uh, time travel movies ever made. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty awesome. It's good. Movie. I had to watch it, I don't know how many times. Plus, I had to watch someone who broke it down and, <laughs> and literally a chalkboard drawing. You know, that's awesome. like, <laughs> like, what the hell is this movie about? <laughs> it must be genius because I don't know what it's about. <laughs> Well, let me ask you one last question and I'll let you go here. Now, do you have any advice for anybody that might be aspiring to be a writer or director uh, in any genre or the horror genre? Yeah, I think it's I think right now, obviously, there's such an access to affordable equipment that, you know, I think it's good to just do something no matter what it is, because oftentimes and you you can see I always like to refer to a movie like once. Have you ever seen Once? Is that a love story? I don't think so. So Once is this tiny movie that, you know, is shot on like a camcorder that did really well. And it got like nominated for an Academy Award and stuff. You know, it's a great love story that's very much about music. And it's like the thing is, if you have a good story that 
if you can't afford, right, you can say, I can't, I don't want to do that because I can't afford to make it look perfect. As long as you're telling a good story, audiences, especially nowadays, are so forgiving of quality. It's, it's, it's funny because with the technology, we've in some ways gone backwards because a lot of people are watching content on their phones now. So shooting on film or having this amazing looking Blu-ray, although people like to talk 4K, they're never seeing that 4K image. I think it's just important for people to get out there and do what you're passionate about. You know, don't chase a trend and just come up with a, a good story. And even if it's a short, you should just do it. You know, everyone's experience is going to be different. I think, I, you know, luck plays a big part of it, but I fell into it. But with entertainment, you know, it's a roller coaster. It's always going to be ups and downs. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Thank you for uh, coming on here. Looking forward to Extremity on October 2nd or before if you guys are in town uh, and some of they'll probably be listing it and we'll post it on wherever we can post it to let you guys know. But, uh, but yeah, thanks for coming on. No, it was great. Thanks for having me, guys. Talk to you soon. All right, guys, we're back. And uh, I want to give a big thanks to Anthony. Yeah, thank you so much, Anthony, for coming on. We really appreciate it. Alex told me about your Doom Sludge fucking metal band, Tits. I'm really <laughs> excited about that. I can want to look it up, send us some tracks. Like, I don't know if he has any tracks out, but he did tell if, me about if it. If you fucking do, like, you send me a shitty YouTube video, I don't care. Like, send me a tape. Like, I want to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, for those of you guys, you, I don't think you got to hear this in the interview, but uh, I hope I hope you're not mad at me for sharing this, Anthony. But he's <laughs> oh actually God, a drummer. Like, this is my closeted story. <laughs> yeah, well, it was in our pre-show banter, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, uh, But yeah, he, he actually plays drums, and he did a, his last project that he was working with was a doom sludge metal band guys so i thought that was fucking sick i was like hell yeah i love it so but yeah thank you so much guys if you haven't already just make sure you keep an eye out for extremity it's going to be coming out very soon uh so and in some of your local theaters i know definitely for sure it's going to be i believe in Los Angeles is the premiere. They might they're going to be coming to Arizona as well. So for those of you that are in those areas, we'll keep you up to date with some links or something about where it's going to be. So just uh, keep an eye out. Uh, but now I think we're going to jump into our flesh and potatoes of the two movies we're going to be talking about this week, and that is The Midnight Meat Train and Direct. So we'll go ahead and do that right, right now. guys we're back and britney's gonna kick this one right the fuck off we're gonna kick it off first with the midnight meat train that was released in 2008 which a lot of you are gonna look at this and go oh, yeah that's the movie bradley cooper was in right Weird. before he got real big actually. yeah pretty much um the general idea is a photographer's obsessive pursuit of dark subject matter leads him into the path of a serial killer who stalks late-night commuters, ultimately butchering them in the most gruesome ways imaginable. Delicious. Sick. That was it? Oh. Yeah, it. <laughs> I was, like, waiting for the... No, that's all I got. <laughs> I'm good. There was a man good with one tortilla. What, just one lonely tortilla. <laughs> so this was directed by Ryui Kitamura, who has done uh, 
such films as Down to Hell, Godzilla Final Wars, No One Lives, and most more recently in Nightmare Cinema. My favorite versus that was his Tarantino-esque gangland oh, zombie film. Oh yeah. It's awesome. That was like the first my first my first uh step into his world was with Versus. And then I watched like Heat After Dark. I got like obsessed with all his stuff. He's mm-hmm. he's even done some like fantasy shit. Yeah. A lot of it's like really dark. He did a live and uh some other one where it's just like two guys in a house. Weird. And they ha- and it, that's not easy to do. No, they yeah, that's And and they really did it really well. I have it. I just can't think of what the name of the movie is. Anyway, sorry. Huh. I'm a, I'm a fanboy a little no, bit. No, that's okay. Please, fanboy. <laughs> um, this has two writer credits. First and foremost, I'm going to start with the one and only Clive motherfucking Barker, who wrote the short story. He's mostly well known for the Books of Blood, volume one through six, which includes such things as Hellraiser, Rawhead Rex, Candyman, Nightbreed, etc., etc. And Dread. Etc. And Dread. Well, you already know that. But. <laughs> Um, it also has Jeff Bueller, who did the screenplay. He was also working on the upcoming remake that Alex is so excited about, Jacob's Ladder. Oh, yeah. He's also uh, going to be working on the upcoming remake. Yeah, please. No, wait. Can we say something about that real yeah, quick? Because we didn't get you. to. I wanted I'll to mention. You. If we were going to do the news, guys, I was going to bitch a little were. bit and rant about uh, they're remaking um, the Jacob's Ladder movie, which. I'm not a huge fan of the director or anything, but I think that is probably the best film yeah. that he's done. And it's so out of the style of the director to do that movie, the J- of Jacob's Ladder. It's kind of like a visionary piece. And I feel like you really shouldn't touch those. <laughs> if you're not going to do it right. It's, it's yeah. like, it's like taking David Cronenberg's Videodrome and just, uh, making it a puppet show. I don't know. Like it's just wrong. It's just wrong. Uh, anyway, but yeah, there's, it's coming out, guys. So you watch <laughs> me have tantrums online. Anyway. It's going to be great. It's already started. It's entertaining. <laughs> uh, he's also working on the upcoming remake of Pet Cemetery, due in two- 2019. And he did the JS for Jesus segment in the ABCs of Death 2. Nice. Uh, this movie stars Bradley fucking Cooper, who mm-hmm. plays Leon, who everybody pretty much knows him from The Hangover. He was also in American Sniper, Silver Linings Playbook, War Dogs, 10 Cloverfield Lane. He was just a voice in that. Uh, the Place Beyond the Pines, he was in Nip Tuck for a lot of seasons, which I completely fucking forgot about. Uh, and a bunch of other fucking movies. He's a big fucking actor, you guys. <laughs> big fucking he's emphasis. A big fucking actor. Jesus. Oh, yeah. All that. So he's in porn. He's probably fucking Lee. Gotcha. Okay. Um, it also stars Leslie Bibb, who plays Maya. She is in Trick or Treat, Law Abiding Citizen. She was in the uh, 2017 Netflix hit The Babysitter, and another movie called Hell Baby, which looks ridiculously oh, stupid. Oh, I saw it. I watched it. But I want to see it. <laughs> I think that's that one with that guy from uh, the Hot Tub Time Machine yes. in it. Yeah. 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 Uh, it also has Brooke Shields, who right. plays Susan Hoff. Um, she did do an episode of Tales from the Crypt, which I didn't know, which I thought was pretty cool. I think she nan- nailed her role. Um, <laughs> she was like perfect for that role. For this movie? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, she's in Seventh Floor. She's a fucking voice in Mr. Pickles, the animated like <laughs> Wait, Satan what? dog. I know. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like That's, now, like Christina can't watch that show. She's like, that is why? way too ADD for it's me. It's so awesome. It's like having it a panic super, attack. Though. It is like having a panic attack, but I fucking love it. <laughs> and now I like, I was like, are you serious? Like it blew my fucking mind when I saw that. I'll have to tell you. I'm like, how in the does she watch this? <laughs> right. Like, does she know the material, the subject matter for this show? I was very surprised. Um, she's also mostly known for her roles in Pretty Baby and the Blue Lagoon and a bunch of other shit. 
Okay. So everybody knows who Brooke Shields is. Um, Vinny Jones, who plays Mahogany, who I love him. I have like a big old soft spot for him. He just is an adorable yet menacing ass person. Yeah. Um, he is in Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Of course. Yeah, that's his. Is, that, that's, that's his. That's prime, the role they got him yeah, in the business. Yeah. The biggest one. Um, he's also in Snatch, Kill Kane, Six Ways to Die, and. Some other stuff. On your side of your gun, it says replica. <laughs> oh, shit. Vinny Jones is going to kick your ass. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, last but not least, it has Roger Bart, who plays Jurgis, who you guys probably know from Hostel 2. He's also in Excision. He was in Smiley and April Apocalypse. Nice. And a bunch of other stuff. It had a estimated $15 million budget. Which, holy balls. That's a lot, yeah. That's a lot. Opening weekend in the United States, it grossed uh, less than $35,000. Yeah, because they, you know why? I saw a little bit about it, yeah. Well, the story is, and I've Tell mentioned us. this before, guys, and I, I, I kind of have a, you know, like, I was a little saddened by this because the anticipation of, one, Ryu Ikitamura coming into the United States to do his first movie was a big deal to me, as was to anybody who was a fan of his earlier works. Uh, him working, not only that, Clive Barker was going to be doing something, too, so uh, I was like, oh, crap, like, we got to see this, like, I can't wait. And uh, they, I think they put it to a limited run. They did. It to, was... Like before they, they, they switched it all of a sudden. Yeah. Like before they sent the films out, I guess. But I was really disappointed. But anyway, well, continue on. Fucked it completely. Um. So the actual gross in the United States was about $83,000. And uh, the cumulative worldwide gross for this movie was $3.5 million. It's crazy, man. Which but is the, but very it made sad. it made all of its money in the afterwards. I hope I don't. I don't, I don't know. know. I, I should have asked him about that. Yeah, I, I feel like it's. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Well, because because Anthony was a, a, a executive producer. Yeah, so that, he worked so. on it. Yeah, I'm interested to see like because I know it's kind of it was on Netflix for a really long time, and um, I know it's kind of have like a little bit of like a cult following now. Yes. So I feel like it's really come along on its own, but sure. I don't know. Bums me out, especially for like a Bradley Cooper movie, but he wasn't really that big then. So it wasn't his first movie. It was like he had done many films prior to doing this. He but had, but that was around the time big. where he was blowing up. So, yeah. yeah. So it was, it's always weird to me. And then when you watch it and you're just like, Brooke Shields, what the hell is going on with this fucking movie? Like, and I always think like, what did he think when he signed on for this? You know what I mean? When he read the sure. script. Because he doesn't do horror like he hasn't done anything else horror like since then or really prior to like it's all like nothing horror like maybe suspense well he's a big budget guy now he is a big budget guy but that's like he's still never been never picked up any other type of horror movie there's lots of big budget ones alex i'd really like to know what your thoughts were on this movie well i actually i like both of the short stories like i've read both the movies because we we picked two movies guys by the way just as a heads up that were clive barker short stories that were turned into movie adaptations. And that was kind of like the theme of this one. So I really like both of the shorts. I read those years ago. Um, they've been put into different other collections and stuff, you know, like Clyde Barker did a couple that were put in the splatterpunk novels. Uh, one of them was the Midnight Meat Train. Another one was something else. I can't remember what it's called, but, but that's where I kind of got some of those short stories from the book of blood, the books of blood. Um, I think it's a good movie though, and I I always like I said mentioned the the thing about the this being Ryuichi Kitamura's first 
feature film in in the United States. And uh, it was certainly something that I was uh, looking forward to. I was a little dismayed by the, you know, it not getting released everywhere. So I had to wait longer. And I was really upset about it at the time. <laughs> but uh, it's kind of like I love I've always loved Kitamura's style because he has like this sort of darker kind of comic booky. Yeah. Uh, his characters are usually really strong, and so I was kind of curious to see what he was going to do with the the Clive Barker thing. But when I when I first saw the trailer and everything, I was like, "Who doesn't want to see Vinnie Jones going around killing people with hammers and knocking their heads open with a bone hammer?" I guess that is that's where you break the bones. And the butcher shop, I guess. I mean, yes. I really, I really enjoyed the setup of this movie a lot. Um, I thought that the feels pretty great, even though it differs a little bit from a little bit. Like you kind of jump into the action in the short story, like it's, it's like the yeah. third act, pretty much. Yeah. The first time I watched it, though, I really enjoyed it, and I was like, this could have totally been in the theaters, like wide release, like. So, um, but it does get just the ending a little bit for me does get a little hokey after watching it. I think this is like my fourth time, uh, after, after I've seen it. Um, but it's not that it's hokey necessarily, because if you read the short story, a lot of what they do in this movie is in there. Only they, they do a little bit more talking, uh, like Vinnie Jones character is not mute in the story. Yeah, he's not. He's just kind of a, uh, a well-dressed uh, kind of guy, just like he is in this movie, only he talks and says things a little bit. So, but I think it kind of worked in the movie. So I think the fact that he doesn't talk in the movie, it's kind of, no, kind of good. There's like a really good scene in there that we'll talk about a little later that I love. And Vinny's body language in that moment and everything was just like, yeah, don't fuck with this guy. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And Bradley's like, oh, I'm sorry. Hello, sir. I want to piss my pants. <laughs> But, uh, I don't know. I think, I think it kind of lost me a little bit towards the end this time. I don't know if it's, it felt just a little rush towards the end there. Right. I don't know why. It's, it's not that I think that it was bad or anything. It just felt like the last bit of that last five, ten minutes is like, Kind of rush through, train. <laughs> right? Yeah, like how are, they, we gonna, how are we gonna wrap this up? You they, know, and I don't have any complaints about what they did versus the the short story or anything like that. I thought it was it was really good. So, but uh, it seems it seems like a weird killer movie at first, guys, and then the story delves so much deeper than that. Like literally, uh, it, it's gory. It's got a lot of artistic stuff to it as well. I think it's well shot. Uh, there's a lot of cameos in it. They even have Ted Raimi in it. Um, I think Vinny does a surprisingly good job, even though he's, like mute. I said, mute. Uh, but that's not easy to do either. Like, you know, he just looks sharp, dressed like, I don't know. It's it's like watching a corporate killer walk around. Yeah. You know what I mean? Awesome. And there's some kind of gross out parts in it as well. Uh, but it's kind of like a lot of people compare it to like HP Lovecraft. Uh, even in the short story, a lot of people did too. Like, because there's this thing, there's, I don't want to spoil it for you, but there's this thing that adds to the killer in the movie that I think, uh, will surprise a lot of people if you've not seen it. But I will say that I, I definitely enjoyed the twist in the movie as it goes a lot deeper. Again, quite literally, but. I think it's pretty awesome. Uh, I'm glad that he got to do this movie and I'm glad that it got made because I never would have never expected to see a Midnight Me Train movie to begin with. Yeah. Even though I was really fascinated with what the creatures looked like in my mind when I first read it. Um, they do deliver a little bit on that. Um, and yeah, a little bit. It's kind of, it's really cool. I, I felt like, I think what it was is that I was expecting to see more of that end world sort of. Agreed. And I wanted to be a part of it, even though the set design and everything in the movie was actually pretty good. Yeah. 
Um, I don't know. It just, it, I felt like it fell off a little bit towards the end there. But all in all, I still quite enjoy this film a lot. It is something that I don't own right now. I thought I did, but I think I had it on DVD and was planning to get it on Blu-ray and oh, never yeah. did. And I accidentally sold it. Maybe they didn't have it at the store at the, you know, the trade-in place or whatever. But um, it's not my favorite Kitsamora film, but it's definitely a good first one in the U.S. So that's pretty much what I think about it. What about you? Um, I think that they made a lot of interesting, relatively smart choices from taking this and adapting it from a short story to a movie. So I get why they changed it the way that they did and they made the tweaks that they did. But there's stuff that I wish that they would have focused less on to put more attention elsewhere okay it's like i honestly wish that they would have because there's some characters that i feel like aren't necessary that are not in the story that they add into it to add substance to the story that they're creating Mm -hmm. but they don't need them they don't need his girlfriend's character they don't need the best friend jurgis's character well i mean to me i felt like i just feel like they should have focused more on the creatures and telling that story with the creatures and spent more time in that world because in the sto- in the short story, that's a huge chunk of it is them being there and explaining that whole like process and why they're why they're serving these people like the way that they are. Okay. And how he ends up becoming the new mahogany. Sure. You know, and that's what I really like, and that's what I always appreciated and loved about the story. So spoiler they, alert, by the way. Yeah, but well, well, we already kind of touched on it already. A little but, bit. Um. So to me, like it lost that element, and I didn't. I felt. Everything with the girlfriend was completely unnecessary, but to what they were trying to do to get him to seem like he gave a shit, I guess. <laughs> I, I get it, but at the same time, I just don't feel like it was needed. Um, it's a strong enough story as it is. Like you could have spent more time explaining who these creatures are and why they are there and why Mahogany does what he does and why he ends up bringing in Leon. Right. I know, well, but, they definitely wanted to keep a mystery. But. Uh, yeah. but I mean, I love how this is filmed. Like, it's so dark and it's grungy and it's raw and it just looks fucking phenomenal. Could do a little less with the fake CGI'd, like, blood and gore aspects. It was fun, though. But it was fun because it reminds me of, like, Sin City. Right. You know, like, in 300, like, that whole, like, comic aspect of filming. And I like that, but at the same time, I'm always like, but practical. (laughs) Yeah. Do it with your hands. It's more fun. (laughs) Like, I don't know. But, you know. Whatever. It's still fucking cool. There's so many good scenes in this movie that just make me excited every time I watch it. Like, Mm -hmm. they're just sick. And, you know, that character of Mahogany, he plays... They're perfect adaptations of their characters. Absolutely. Which is what I love so much, is that, like, Mahogany's character is the same in the movie as he is in the story. Although they kind of brush over the whole... I don't want to spoil it, but the... They do. The blemish parts. I'll just say the blemishes. They, which, yeah, which they, they kind of like really put a light on it in the movie and I was like for no reason well I don't I don't know if it's necessarily for no reason because they do mention it in the story but it is like they don't talk about it that much in the story but that's what the story towards when you get towards the end is when it makes sense like it all kind of it's like an aha thing like you're like oh shit okay so that's why he's weird and pimply or whatever right but in the movie they don't like they just show him carving off these like pimple things that he keeps in jars for whatever fucking reason and there's no explanation (laughs) so you're like what the hell and like mouse is like what is that what is he doing like why is he all fucking weird and you know it kind of explains at the end when you see the creatures and you see what's happening whatever like it kind of comes about but at the same time it's just there's no story development on that element of it right and that's what i missed from this movie is they don't spend enough time on the creatures and that whole world and the whole old New York, like, 
they're who found the city and they created the city and that's why like they're trying to keep them at bay so they don't come up and eat everybody right and i love that element of the story and that's they totally don't touch on well and you know you gotta remember though you also have to think like sometimes you do want to elaborate on something yeah but it's also clyde barker so i can imagine that that's a little intimidating for some people to absolutely to want to take the story past where it was yeah which they did yeah they did um but yeah i don't know you know it's like even the movie and in the story the short story they don't really answer to too many questions so the mystery's kind of like this illuminati group that is like handling stuff and i, I don't want to spoil spoil everything but uh if you, most i think most people have probably seen this movie but if you haven't i i, I think we should you should definitely check oh, it yeah, out yeah watch it it's one of those that you should definitely see. Yeah, I think it's worth a. It's a good movie. It is. It is a good movie, but it, it there is it, like you said. I think we both had the same. Yeah, I mean, it, thing. it's awesome, but it's you know, it's it's still a little bit disappointing in a way. But it's still a really good film. It's a really good film. I think it's a good adaptation. It is a very good very adaptation. Least, yeah. Like he still stays relatively true to the main point of the story. He keeps the two main characters and keeps and they are true to their characters, and he plays it well. He, I love it. I don't know. Yeah. He did a really good job. And what did you think so of pretty. it compared to the book or the short story? Like, what do you like? What did I? Prefer? Yeah, like I mean, I I mean, I th- I like both. So it's like hard for me to say. Do you have a definitive answer for that? Oh, which I would. I prefer the the short story. Okay. Over the movie, to okay. be honest. Like, and I I love. You know, and we're gonna get into spoilers, wants- by the way, guys. So you're yeah. gonna want to like turn your ears off or fast forward to the next uh, movie. Everybody wants to be visually stimulated, so you know that's why a lot of or people, physically or physically, but that's why a lot of people <laughs> go more towards movies than film. You know, than book adaptations. Like they don't, they'll go watch the movie. They're not gonna read the book. Yeah, you know. So well, I, that's what he was saying too. He was like, most people, you have to make a film for a movie. Yeah, for the movie audience, not the book audience necessarily. So you have to take some risks. You do. You absolutely do. Right. And then you know, and so I understand that completely. But I just prefer. I think the obviously books always tell a story better. They have the opportunity to do that, or short stories, or whatever. They have the opportunity to do it. You get more of a rich character development, and because you have to put more into what you're reading because you have to imagine it in your own head what you're reading and put it you kind of make your own pictures you know what i mean you make your own movie when you're reading something well and i had no issue with the beginning part of the story either oh no no. i thought it was great because i was like you know that there's nothing about that i think they even in the story they don't even say what he does they don't even say what he's like an accountant what leon does he's like he works in an office right like an accountant i like that they made him a, a photographer in this one and i also like that they, I like his relationship and the story that they kind of gave with the, for whatever reason, I liked him being in the, 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 uh, diner. Like, I like the guy who ran the diner as well. Yeah. I for too. whatever reason, because I loved it because it's like that whole, like, old world, new world, New York style. Which, by the way, I'm pretty sure that's the diner from Shameless. Oh, is it? I'm pretty sure it's the same exact diner that they use in Shameless. Okay. Which fucking cracks me up. I was like, that's the diner. And I was like, <laughs> holy shit. I'm pretty positive it is. Could be wrong. Looks the same. Anyway, um, they do. And I like that, too, because he has an interaction in the diner in the book plus the relationship also with him and his girlfriend or yeah fiance, fiance. Or whatever yeah she that's actually believable no it is a believable relationship. they're good actors yeah they are they absolutely are and you know you can't take that away from them i just didn't feel like her part her role was necessary the same with her best friend gotcha, like okay. i get that how they added it because it gave an extra element to the movie version of it but i just felt like it was 
not needed but there was just things that she did that was like subtle things like where she's like i was paying attention that i thought was really good i don't want to get too into details but she just just little things like she was like grabbing his hand sticking it between her legs while they were laying not like sexually but yeah just like by her very natural girlfriend girlfriend right it it just totally reminded me of like laying in bed with yeah you know christina or something you know what i mean a good job of like making things believable right so you know and it it's cool and it's a weird, like, it's a weird story. It's a weird story to, like, really get into because you look and go, how in the fuck is that possible? Like, how would there be this guy that's using these fucking train cars to murder all these people in these brutal ass ways and no one knows about it? <laughs> no one catches this. Like, even though, like, it's late as fuck at night, there's still a million people that well, ride the fucking subway. And see, that's the thing that I liked about this movie in a way is that even in the, in the story, if you think about it, like, they, in, in the movie, they're fine. They never find the bodies. They're just missing. Yeah. Which makes more sense than why would the bodies still be on the train if they're feeding them to the right monsters in the in the book? Right. Because in the in the short story, they're finding these bodies, so it makes you wonder, like, what the hell's going on? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah, it gets it gets confusing. So yeah, I thought the same thing. I was like, what? But I love. And why are these, why is the surface people beholden to these underworld creatures if they're, because they say in the book, he's like, oh, I'm so weak, we need to eat in order to survive. And they talk and shit in a raspy voice. And so I kind of, I kind of wish we had that little piece in there. I really do. Like, I wish they would have spent more, more time on the creatures and the whole story with them. Cause it's so interesting in the book. Like, when it happened, like, when they get to that part, you're like, holy shit. You know what I mean? Like they're like we're the we're the creators, we're the founders, we're the fathers and the mothers and the sons and the daughters and you know like we built this city before so mankind. Before mankind, we were here. Like after mankind, we will be here. Like they're basically saying like they kill these people, feed them these humans to to satiate their fucking need for flesh, so they don't rise up and take over the fucking city. Right, and in the in the it's book, cool. don't they talk about the big one? Yeah, like that the, ends up with his head on Mahogany's yeah, yeah. head or whatever. Yeah, like it's that. That cool. Like I really wish I could have seen that in the movie. I agree. Like yeah. that's that's what I'm seeing. So that's what I'm saying was like time that they what? spent on other things, like their really awkward, creepy sex scene in the <laughs> diner. Oh yeah, that was kind why of... <laughs> like, because they because well for one Bradley Cooper no 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 like, no, no. <laughs> it makes sense to me because I don't you think see it's a, him changing it's yes it's not obligatory because he ate a steak earlier that day yeah and now all of a sudden he went from sweet to animalistic which is kind of the traits that these people who work for the fathers and the the mothers and all that shit have to be they become yeah. these monsters yeah. So it it plays well to the story, right? So I I like in that I was like okay like I get it when you see the twist like in his in his eyes like how he changes like instantly and I'm just like ooh yeah and then I was like ooh Bradley Cooper's got hot <laughs> like, <laughs> all right <laughs> let's do scenes so tell me uh, about one of your favorite parts one of your favorite scenes yeah I think we'll just since we're running low on time on this guys we're just gonna pick one of our each and then we'll uh, yeah. We're going to pick one each for, for these movies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so one of the, my favorite scenes, I think, where it's so hard. Like, there's two. I mean, there's the one that you kind of already pointed out. I'll probably say the other one that you're okay. thinking of. Okay. Well, so. I, I will, I'm thinking of this scene. My, one of my favorite scenes, it's so subtle and so little and not even like, it stands out, but I just love when Leon 
uh, the character that's following Vinnie Jones' character, Mahogany, he's following down the street, and he, Bradley Cooper's like following him around a corner, and Vinnie's, well, Mahogany is stopped. And so he almost runs into the back of him and then like realizes the guy knows and he just stands there and then he turns around and grabs him by the chest. Yeah, because he tries to walk past him. Right. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck, dude. That's like an, a powerful part in the movie to me. Yeah. I really like that. I love that because even in the book, like they have their bump ins. And uh, it's it's a little bit more casual too, so yeah. I don't know. I just I really like that scene. So I do too. What's one of yours? Which one are you um, thinking? I love the epic battle royale at the end. Holy! Oh, balls. okay. It's so good. Like so, all the fucking bodies, like hanging by their oh, hanging from their like Achilles and shit. Right, you guys. Like there's a there's a good scene in here. Where they it reminds stick me a of fucking meat hook. Reminds me of Predator, by the yeah. way. Ugh. They stick like a their meat bodies hook all... through a fuck through the fucking like Achilles like between the ankle bone like Achilles tendon area you know like that sweet spot that no one can watch that shit and not cringe. <laughs> um, but they he's they're hanging. It's all these bodies are naked and whatever. Most of these people are dead. One of them isn't. Who happens to be like the friend, right. which is great when he fucking dies. I laughed. Anyway, <laughs> I'm a horrible person. Um, so these bodies are like hanging up, and Bradley Cooper and um Ma- or yeah Mahogany and Leon's character have this epic like butcher battle royale between these corpses right and they're getting their knives and shit stuck in body parts and they're using body parts to hit like to hit each other as weapons and then all the and then eventually he ends up throwing him off the train (laughs) and i'm like oh no (laughs) but you know that's not it you know he's gonna come back and then they fight later and eventually a sharpened femur gets used in the end, and it is fucking glorious. They stab him in the side and then through the neck. It's like, what? Like, right through the side of the fucking neck, and then you get the one fucking word of ma- out of Mahogany. I didn't hear what he said. He said, welcome. Oh, yeah. The one fucking thing that you get to hear Mahogany say the entire time, and he's saying it with a sharpened femur through the side of his neck, <laughs> bleeding out of his mouth, and he's, like, shaking, and he's just, welcome. And it's so perfect. And yeah, like, they were pruning him. And I went, ew, what? So what? <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, what a weird thing to say. And then you're just like, oh, wait, because he killed the master, so now he's going to have to take the fly. Ah, and there it is. And I thought you were going to mention the one where uh, Ted Raimi gets his eye knocked out, his eyes. Oh, yeah, that's a cool scene. Yeah. And I liked what the chick, too. Sure, I love yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was a good my one. My favorite part from that, though, is when they do the pan back. And it's just the head. her head, yeah, in the in the pool of blood. That was, there were some really color, cool shots oh, in there with the gore art. too. Yeah, beautiful. That headshot was really well done. It was very well done. Um, I love that. That's an iconic scene from this movie. So that's why I was like, that was a cool use a technique that they did. Yeah. I thought that was really good. Fucking dope. There's um, so many cool parts about this movie. Now there is obviously one last movie that we're going to be talking about, and that is Dread. Yes. Which came out in 2009, 2010. It was hit the festivals. Um, you know, actually, I think it premiered on the J- July 2009 at Fantasia Film Festival and then went on to be at the After Dark Horror Fest films in 2010. So, uh, as do most movies that are being shown at those anyway. So. Uh, the story is three college students set out to document what other people dread the most. However, one of the three turns out to secretly be sadistic psychopath who uses this knowledge to gruesomely torture the subjects. 
Now, this is based off, of course, again, a short story by Clive Barker. The story was originally published in 1984 in Volume 2 of Barker's Books of Blood, which uh, many of Clive's works have been pulled from these, which Brittany mentioned. Uh, it was obviously directed by Anthony de Blasi, who also wrote and directed Last Shift, the segment from Profane Exhibit, if you guys want to check that out. I believe it's like a three-part anthology um uh called mother may i he did uh he's also done a lot of stuff and we also talked about his extremity movie coming out here uh also it stars jackson rathbone from he plays steven and he was in the twilight movies as jasper he was also in the movie s darko which is the sequel to donnie darko city of dead men also stars hane steen who plays cheryl or hannah steen i feel like it would be hannah well, it's H-A-N-N-E. Hanny, maybe? Hannah Steen. I, I, I can't, I'm not sure how I'm saying it, but Hannah? she plays Cheryl. I thought she was actually really good in this. She was. Uh, it's surprising because she hasn't really been into too much, uh, but a couple of TV shows. But I, I thought she was actually a really good actor She's in this. And she did a really good job. And as you guys already know, what she went through in the movie, which is really awesome. Yeah. Uh, that she was able to do, uh, but also stars Laura Donnelly, who plays Abby. She's been in, in uh, the Hex TV series, Merlin TV series, the program, Outlander TV series, and the Britannia TV series. Also stars Jonathan Redwin, who uh, plays Joshua Shaw, and he's the, the basically the deaf kid in the movie, the one that was previously deaf. He also was in Rome TV series, Minotaur movie, and in uh, that came out in 2006, and Splintered. Uh, also stars Sean Evans, who plays Quaid. Uh, he was in the movies Cash Back, Endeavor TV series, which we talked about, and uh, also Warbook and Silk. Um, what are your thoughts, though, on this movie? What would you think of it? I fucking loved it. <laughs> like, I really, really liked this movie. Yeah. A lot. I kind of figured it'd be right up your alley. Yeah, this this is shit that I fucking love. Yeah, you like so. that uh, really suspenseful, yeah. psychological kind of stuff. Psycho like, psychological thrillers are, like, my fucking wheelhouse. I mm -hmm. love that shit. I love movies that make me think. I love movies that, like, just take you to a different place and kind of set you in the same situation and literally make you cringe because you're just like, ugh. Like, yeah. this could totally fucking happen to me, you know? And it's just, it's such a cool story. Like, the story is amazing on its own, and the, but the film version is so fucking good. I'm, I was very impressed, too. Like, yeah. holy shit. Like, what he, like, what they were able to do with this movie, it just, it blows my fucking mind. And I feel like this is so completely fucking underrated and underappreciated which drives me up a wall because it's so fucking good like i just want everybody to watch it the characters are strong the acting is strong the story is so well played out and everything makes sense like all the little working parts that like, work really well together right and man it gets uncomfortable like really uncomfortable in a lot of different scenes and they play off of it so well and it, i was really impressed Cool. I loved it. I loved how it's filmed. I loved everything about it. Like, and it she really fits. did. She wrote me before I even knew that we were interviewing Anthony de Blasi and anything like that. She was like, it was dope. Yeah. She <laughs> Mouse loves it. Like the second that it was done, like we both looked at each other and Mouse is just like, like mouth open. And he's like, that's probably one of the best movies that we've had to watch for this. Like for the show, like he's like, holy shit. And I'm like, right? And I'm like, it's so good. Yeah. I've never been so just like on the edge of my seat, just like deeply connected to the movie like i mean there's a lot i have been but like this one i was just like holy fuck you know and for I mean? his first movie 
Yeah, that's like his first feature film, and he wrote it. Yeah, which is awesome. Like I was, that's why I was like super impressed. And I, you know, it's funny. Like, it's and I didn't tell Anthony this, but I didn't even know that he directed Dread right away. Uh, when we picked these two movies, and I was like, "Oh my god, he's the guy that directed the Last, last shift. shift," and I don't know why I didn't connect the two. Yeah, because uh, we reviewed Last Shift, and I was like. That was like when we first started the podcast. Yeah, Moss loves that movie. Yeah, I love it too. Oh, so he, I made him watch that, didn't I? Uh, yeah, actually. Yeah, good. Okay. It's a good movie. We have it too. We own it because our friend of ours gave it to us and he hadn't watched it. And then the one day you were just like, just watch it when he was here. Yeah, he loves that movie. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah it's it, good. I like it too. And you guys kind of already know I'm a big fan of, of his work because I, I talk about it a little bit in the interview, but I did write a little bit of a piece before we even knew we were going to be interviewing him. So I'll just go through that real quick for you guys but um i'm like you you know the movie does not get enough credit i think it does get more credit than we may think yeah. because when i posted the picture i said i just got done watching this uh this was like i don't know friday or sunday saturday or something like that i was saturday. like just got done watching this i was like this is one of the more underrated movies in my opinion and everybody was like unanimously like yeah this is a really good movie it doesn't get enough credit so i was so in the facebook group for do you love horror mm-hmm. so um i think it's probably one of the more unknown uh clive barker book short story movie movies i guess you could say i feel like it is yeah um, but it's really, it, it has the chops in it. And I, it stuck with me. Like, I remember reading the short story first years ago and it always stuck with me in my head. And one of the scenes that's in the movie that just fucking I love. Uh, and I, I don't, I don't, I, it's, and I'm not trying to like pick our favorite scenes right now, but I'm just trying to explain that it was so exact, very similar was the steak scene yep. and also the scene where he's dragging the axe. Because in the book, it's so vividly explained. And those two parts in the movie are really, it's almost, it just felt like what I was, you know, when you read a book and then you watch an adaptation and you see it, that was almost exactly how I pictured it. Yeah, I love that. Only, you know, they made some changes in this one that were a little different than than the short story. They added things. Right. I, I think the story is really cool. I think the idea that somebody is just like so tortured by their past that they are obsessed with this is very plausible. I think that yeah, I think it happens all the time. Right. So I think it makes people serial killers. Yeah, exactly. Or go out and do some crazy fucked up thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because they're just obsessed with it. But I, I mean, I don't know as far as the validity of what people do necessarily, but how they react in certain dire situations. Like I can't say if it's a hundred percent factual, but it it feels. Like, you do not want to be in this situation that they're in. No. So it's, uh, he even said that a lot of people were torn on it, you know, either they really liked it or they hated it because they were pissed at whoever wrote it. <laughs> so, uh, I think a lot of the additions that, that were added in this movie, I really enjoyed. I think that the, the extra characters that they put in this, the extra stuff that they put in that Anthony wrote, I thought were really good. Uh, is it completely flat out horror 100%? No, not really, but it is because it deals with the same concept of what we feel when we watch horror movies and how we feel and how vicariously we are living that sort of uh, synthetic dread in a way, uh, which I love. And I just love the whole psychology behind that. And I think that's 
I think that's what makes this movie stand out to me compared to a lot of other movies. It's just, just it's it's something that sits seeps into you a little bit, and the characters in it are really good. The actors were relatively unknown, mm-hmm. and they all pulled it off. Like that's the really cool thing. So, uh, and it does have gore in it, so it's not like it's just yeah. Oh my- and it's artistic too. It's a too. fucking horror movie. There's blood. There's guts. There's fucking fear. There's uncomfortable ass fucking moments. There's boobs. Like, what else do you fucking want? You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, that's a fucking horror movie. I think it's a really good uh, thing. Now, incredible. And we're not going to do the trivia on this one because we pretty much covered it in when we talked to Anthony. I think yeah. he gave us a bigger insight into the movie than I think <laughs> you know I could probably add to it. So, um, did you have any favorite scenes though? Like the introduction, essentially, to Quaid's character and why he's the way he is with his parents' murder. Okay. Oh, awesome. (laughs) That's a good scene, yeah. Fuck, man. Like The flashback, you mean? The flashback scene is so fucking cool. His parents get, like, murdered by a random axe murderer, right? Like, that comes into their house saying he needs to use the phone because his car broke down. And then he axes his parents to death, right? And I just, the sounds are so spot on, which is what I loved so much about it. Yeah, the sound design's great. Like, the fucking flack, like, with the fucking axe in the flesh and their face and everything so good and then him coming up the stairs for the little boy because he's like eight or something five however old he is and he's like hiding up you know in the corner down this hallway and the axe murderer is coming up the stairs with the bloody axe and it's dragging it. on to the steps so good each time and it's so like un- unnerving when you watch it and you're just like Ugh. which and is different the guy's creepy which is different from the book because in the book or in the short story i keep saying book i always say book it's fine in the short story essentially if you guys have seen this movie and this is total spoiler area by Big the time. way guys so just if you don't want to hear this totally understand we'll see you next monday uh <laughs> but the Steven is the guy who comes back yeah. in the thing and he's kind of dressed as a clown. So the killer in the movie, in the short story is like a clown, right? In the short story? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Unless I misread that. No, but... that's how they play it off. Like, that's how I remember and it. And then Steven off. just happens to be wearing these really gaudy outfits. Yeah. Because it's in England. The short story takes place in England uh, in the short story, but in here it's, you know, America. Yeah. It's like Chicago. But he said that he shot everything in, in England and so Neat. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but yeah, and then he takes ugh, he like puts his fingers on the fucking axe like in the blood. Yeah. And it's like This is your this mommy. This is your mommy. And I'm just like, Ew and your daddy. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so he just completely mentally fucks this child, right? And he's just like, Yeah, you're gonna end up like me an axe murderer and I'm not gonna kill you. You're just gonna grow up and be a psychopath. And that's what happens. Yeah. He grows up, becomes a psychopath, and it haunts him for the rest of his life. And it's awesome. There, There's, I mean, there's quite a few sh- scenes in this that there's I really liked. Um, I think one of the, the first ones that I really loved in the editing and everything that was with it was um, Abby, the girl with the birthmark down yeah. her entire body, is having sex with Quaid who is the the mastermind fucking manipulator, master manipulator guy who's got all these mommy and daddy issues, obviously, for, you know, you can empathize with the guy, even though you can, you can think of him. Yeah, right. Like, you would never do that. But I'm just saying you can kind of sort of empathize with his character. So it's, it kind of has this moral dilemma inside of you when you're watching the movie yeah. because you're like, well, fuck, he's like really fucked up. 
Uh, so I love that they dance around with that. But he's having sex with Abby, the girl with the birthmark. And he starts to kiss. She's like, go down on me. And he starts to kiss down her body. And then you see a cut like on her side. And then he reels back in horror and it reveals her entire bottom half is missing with her organs all laid out and an axe by the side of the bed. I thought that was so cool. Yeah, so did I. I was like, that is the extra touch. Yep. You know what I mean? I love those little extra touches when I see an independent film like that. I think those kind of things add so much depth to it. And and the turmoil, because he even said that this movie is really the story of Quaid. Oh, yeah. In his opinion. Even though in the short story, it's really Steven's story. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, uh, but what about another scene that you have? It's a big one. Well, go ahead. Okay. The meat scene. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, go ahead. Yeah. So I love the exp- like when she find like they're doing the interviews. They're interviewing all these random people to find out like their sto- their sources of fear, their sources of dread, right? So right. Kind of, but they're not really getting what they want from it. So um, Cheryl's character ends up getting in front of the camera and expressing that she was um, molested by her father growing up, and he worked in a meat packing plant. So he always had that thick smell of blood and meat. Mm. So she's a vegetarian, obviously. From that, like the smell and like a sight and thought of consuming a piece of meat makes her physically sick. Like she refuses to ever do it, right? It takes her back to getting molested. Anyway, Quaid ends up kidnapping her ass and locks her in a fucking tiny ass little room, bars off all the wind, like blocks off all the windows, made sure there was some flies in there when he did it. Meticulously. Meti- yeah, yeah, very meticulous. It's all thought out and very planned. Right. And he. Puts a bucket in there and then like a sheet or whatever the fuck it is that he leaves in there for her. And then he sticks her in there with in the middle of the room on a plate is a big salted piece of steak, mm. which actually is a good looking piece of steak at first. I was like, yeah, that looks good. I like that. <laughs> and he, you know, and then he just, he leaves her in there and she's staring at it and she doesn't know when he's recording this in the entire time, but she doesn't, you know, she knows who did it. But she can't get out. She doesn't know what to do. And she figures out when she sees the steak and she understands why he's doing what he's doing and that he's fucking with her this way. And she's like, you're not going to get me. You're not going to break me. I'm not going to eat the steak. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then over time, she gradually breaks down. And the few flies that he left in the room have now laid their eggs inside the steak. And the steak is rotting and rancid. And she's just, I love all the cuts in the film. And you can see her like, She's like staring right. really far away, and then all of a sudden she's right up on the stake, and she's going crazy, and she's losing and, her fucking mind. Yeah, like she, she started, that's a, yeah, that's why I thought she did such an amazing she was great. job. Like I was like, and 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 when you hear what happened, you guys already know. But Brittany, at this moment while we're recording, hasn't heard the interview yet, so she doesn't know the story behind it. Uh, but when you hear, you're gonna be like, whoa, yeah, yeah. Fuck, dude. So eventually she ends up kind of breaking down and she's like a little touching it at first and then still thinking about it. And then she starts cursing Quaid out like, I'm never going to, you're not going to fucking break me and blah, blah, blah. Eventually she breaks down and takes a bite out of the steak and then throws it all up instantly into the bucket. And another couple days go by and she's still trying to not eat it. And then eventually breaks down and eats the entire rancid ass disgusting fucking piece of steak and they show the entire thing and she leaves nothing but a bone yeah and it is disgusting that's probably one of the show pieces in the entire short story so good i mean they do go into depth with steven's character and him being 
you know, like completely blind and deaf and everything and losing his mind and stuff in the short story. But I felt like I, I feel like it was awesome. And I explained this to him that he, he really honored the, the, the source material while adding his own flair and going yeah. a little bit further, which I thought was really awesome. So, yeah, I like that one, too. The other one that I would say I would mention last one before we close this up, guys. And I know it's long, but thank you for listening. We appreciate it. <laughs> The kid who told the story of getting the, the concussion and losing his hearing for three years, uh, which is basically Steven's character in the, yeah. in the, in the short story, uh, but is split into another character, Joshua, I guess. Uh, I thought he was really good too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mentioned a, this in the, he played a real good little vengeful motherfucker. And I mentioned <laughs> it to, to Anthony as well, just him screaming mommy over and over again. Oh, yeah. But Quaid shoots a gun next to the side of this kid's ears after they interviewed him he tells the story that he can't even go to rock concerts or anything that might trigger his hearing to ring uh so quaid goes up to him and shoots a gun next to his head on either side completely blows out his eardrums right blood pops out and that scene where he's like got the, the weird cups and shit well he has like... the cups on but after he shoots it and then he starts screaming mommy oh sad that yeah. was Oh, that was like heart wrenching. Yeah, I agree. Like, I was like, oh, he's so mean. <laughs> Why is he so mean? And of course, and then the whole Abby thing, you felt the pain of her. Fuck yeah, like, I did. That was really, I don't know. There's just, it, it, it's, 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 I think across the board, I think this movie is really done well. Yeah, like, it's fucking awesome. But I almost kind of like the, the, I, I like, it's hard to say this about some short stories, but when somebody adds something that you might not like to it, I don't feel that way about this movie at all i actually i think they were all perfect in their ad additions i agree i feel like his his additions to this are perfect they work well and it tells the story better i think i think a lot of people he said that a lot of people had issue with it because and and i'm wondering if it's because of the whole cheryl thing probably because they changed cheryl around quite a a lot yeah yeah and i think that because in this story she's she's kind of the same way in the movie but she's more blindly like of not afraid of dread like she's like i'm fine everything's fine with me in the book but in the movie she's she kind of has this wounded moment she's vulnerable even though she's still strong because she's sharing it so i wonder if a lot of people had issue because of that possibly around the end that's true. Yeah. Well, that's another thing he said. Yeah. Was the end because it would turn it into a Quaid movie, which to me, I love the addition of. Yeah, I do too. I think that's really the story anyway. So do I. Is how crazy <laughs> this guy is. That's exactly what I thought. And, so, and, I and spoiler, spoiler, spoiler alert. Him getting away with all of it and in the happenstance of everything and the, the sad ending is fucking great. It is great. I love that. And I love like that he even looks surprised. Like at the end, like how everything plays out, he's just kind of like, the fuck. He fought the beast and like, how did he I beat won. this? <laughs> he beat know? the beast. It's awesome. But the beast all, became him in a way. I in guess. a way, yeah. But it all comes fucking full circle and it works perfectly. And it just, I don't know, it, it's so good. Yeah, I really, I think if you guys, I mean, it's pretty, pretty obvious. I think that if we had to pick one of the two, both are good movies. Both you should watch. Yeah, I think there is is a lot of great stuff oh, in both movies. And you should movies. read both short stories. Yeah, definitely read both short stories. It kind of kind of puts it into perspective. I think after I because I watched Dread first and then I read the short story again, and I'm like, and I was like, okay, I'm so glad I did. I don't think it comes as a surprise that we usually would usually I do stuff backwards. We would pick Dread over over 
Midnight Me Train just because. Oh, yeah. I think, I mean, I think it's just as a whole, I think that is probably the best adaptation. It is. Of, of, of a short story other than, you know, like Candyman is really elaborated oh, yeah. on. That's a really good one too. But, but I mean, an independent atmosphere, that is probably the best possible outcome you could get from an independent film. Yeah. It's so, it's phenomenal. It was a great job. Yeah. Dude, so, everybody on that film was smart. And I'm not just saying that, guys. I, I swear to I God. I keep wanting to say it. We're not just sucking his dick, okay? <laughs> like, fuck. So, thank you, Anthony, for coming on. Keep doing what you're doing. Really look forward to your next film. It yes. It looks fantastic. Yeah, if he comes out here, we're, we're going to hang out we're somewhere. We're going to have a whiskey. <laughs> Whatever you drink, I'm going to drink whiskey. I don't know. It might but, be water. I don't know. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Whatever, man. I'll drink water with you. I don't care. Um, but yeah, and thanks you guys again for listening as always. We appreciate it yeah guys so next week we will be doing a grave, grave plot plots. episode so we were going to do it this week but it kind of kind of needed a break because grave plots is a lot of work guys yeah, i wasn't feeling it this I, week. I i am now doing not only the sound design for the grave plot episodes but i am also doing the video the video the trailer so it's a it's a lot of extra work thank you guys so much <laughs> for coming by and uh we will see you next week as always stay weird monsters mm-hmm.